0: Good afternoon, it's Friday the 28th of January 2022, just after one o'clock, welcome to UK, UK Column News. I'm your host, Mike Robinson, joining me in the studio as usual on a Friday, Patrick Henningsen from 21st Century Wow. Welcome to the program, Patrick. Great to be with you, Mike. Uh, and also joining us uh, via video link is Ian Davis uh, from inthistogether.com. Now we're gonna uh, get straight on with a reminder of the little video clip from the James Whale uh, program on Talk Radio uh, that we showed you on Wednesday. So let's just have a look at that again for a second.
1: Let's uh, let's bring a caller, David, who's in Leicester, on. He's got something to say. David, you're on the air.
0: Uh,
1: hello, Mr. Fact Checker. Who checks that your facts are correct? Also, uh, don't was... be intimidated, oh. Abbas. No, no. Just, no, I'm not getting gonna... it. You know, get to the point, David, or also, you're going. It's entirely also, up to you. Somebody, somebody I know quoted a fact from a government
2: website and was checked by the fact checkers and was banned off YouTube,
0: and now their channel removed merely for quoting government statistics that yeah.
1: they... Tell me the name here. of the person, tell me the fact. Do you have any idea? Uh, it was UK Column, who were uh, an excellent news channel with their own website. Never yeah. heard of them. No. Do you, uh, sorry, just, just stop a minute, stop a minute. Do you know about this um, website yeah. or not? I yeah, okay. U- UK, UK Column, um, I mean, have said things that are just patently not true in the past. Um, during during the uh, initial rollout of the vaccine, sort of December January, um, you know, twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one, they basically were saying that all of the deaths we were seeing from COVID itself were vaccine deaths.
0: So, Ian, uh, I want to say welcome to the program. Ian, uh, did we ever say that all COVID deaths were vaccine deaths? Thank you
1: very much me again. It's great to be here. Um, no, I mean I'm not aware that uh, UK column have ever made any statements like that. I I suspect, but I don't know because he didn't clarify it. But I suspect he may have been referring to my article um, about correlation. Well, let's but, let's um, put that
0: let's put that on screen. Here it is. Uh, why is there a correlation between the vaccine rollout and increased COVID nineteen mortality? And Ian, this is an excellent article. Everybody should read it. But I just want to highlight the last couple of lines of this sentences in this article, correlation, you said, does not prove causation, but ignoring correlation signifies denial. We should not be afraid to ask a perfectly legitimate question. Why is there a correlation between the vaccine rollout and increased COVID-19 mortality? Now, that is not by any means suggesting uh, that every death uh, that's been labeled as COVID-19 was as a result of the vaccine rollout, but you did make a case for increased mortality. As a result of the vaccine uh, rollout,
1: yeah. I mean, I think that's just because that correlation is observable in the data. I mean, there's no doubt that there's a correlation there. Um, um you know, and where there's it, it's such a stark um, correlation that it raises the question: what, why? And that's the, that's the whole purpose of the article is to ask that question: why, and to explore some of the evidence that informs that questioning. So uh you know certainly if we look at the what happened it it, during the 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 initial rollout specifically because you know that initial rollout was amongst the most vulnerable who for who for which there are no trials because the most vulnerable were excluded from the trials which haven't completed anyway but they were excluded from that as part of the exclusion criteria so these people were receiving a vaccine for which there was literally no evidence at all about its safety or efficacy in their case specifically. Um, and what we were seeing was a was a, a reduction of um, mortality, and this is COVID mortality or claimed COVID mortality, a reduction of mortality that was starting to decline. The, intro, the, the introduction of um, the, the vaccine rollout, and then a a complete shift in the um trajectory of the mortality curve which corresponds directly with the vaccine rollout so you know you would expect that 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 issue to be noticed and explored that there's no suggestion that all those deaths are caused by vaccines i think he's making that up
0: Yes, indeed. Well, the question then arose as we were discussing that little video clip, uh, then what about Full Fact? Now, UK column has mentioned and covered Full Fact in the past, but we thought it might be worthwhile just having a look at their funding um, and see whether perhaps they have an agenda. Of course, they claim to be a registered charity funded by people like you uh, and me, I guess by charitable trusts and other funders. All the details are on this page if you look at their funding page. And I particularly wanted to highlight uh, two organizations that we're going to talk about uh, and look at where the the, the trail takes us, the money trail takes us. The first, uh, I believe Ian, this is the largest uh, funder is an organization called Luminate who we've mentioned on the program before, I believe. Um, But uh, possibly the second largest funder if you take the various grants from them uh, down here is Google AI for Good comp, for Good Impact Challenge, £117,000 from them. Uh, Google News Initiative, £115,000 from them. And Google, Google Digital News Initiative, £13,000 from them. So that's a fair chunk of change as well. But as, as we scroll on down, we see, uh, you know, other uh, funders as well that, that perhaps we can, might hear about as we go through Nuffield Foundation, for example, but other familiar figures like Esme Fairbairn uh, and Nesta. Um, so, uh, Ian, if we have a look at uh, Luminate first, what are your thoughts on them as an organization?
1: Well, I mean, Luminate, its sole kind of source of funding is Pierre Amidyar, who's the eBay eBay billionaire, um, and the, and the Amidyar network. Well, the Amidyar network are involved in many um projects, especially around digital identity, which um. That has got a vested a vested interest in seeing the vaccine rollout, and more specifically, uh, the, the the vaccine passports that go alongside that. So it's an attempt. You know, I mean, there's no doubt that one and one of the the projects that the Immijal Network is very heavily involved with is the Adha uh, project in India. Which well, prior well,
0: to... Right. Hold, hold on a second. Let's just run through some of the some of the projects that we are aware of here. So, first of all, uh, the World Economic Forum has launched a shared platform for good digital identity. What is good digital identity?
1: Well, <laughs> our identity that hoovers up as much data as possible, I would suggest, is what they mean by good digital identity. So we've got
0: the uh, Omidyar Network, World Bank, Sovereign Foundation and uh, Evernym uh, advancing this new digital identity initiatives for platform for good digital identity. But this was 2018, Ian. So, so this, uh, this policy of digital identity and, and everybody having a digital identity, it has been going on. It's, it's pre-COVID. It's something that COVID has been used to advance. That, that, you know, That policy agenda has been advanced through COVID uh but but that was a policy that was already there
1: yeah no absolutely yeah uh, uh, and and it's something that they're that the the Thales group who are also part of the Adhar project that is running in india which which the report for the adhar project is written by the amidyar network who are the sole funders of luminate um they uh, i think that the direct quote for them from Talis was that um uh, that that Vaccine passports are a precursor for um, um, vaccine passports are a precursor for digital identity. So yes.
0: so we've got the, the tweet people... on screen at the moment. It says quite clearly, vaccine passports are a precursor to digital ID wallets offering citizens unparalleled convenience and security.
1: Yeah, and so obviously they've got a vested interest in um, the rollout of vaccine passports so while it is factually accurate you can say that it is factually accurate that full facts are not directly funded by pharmaceutical companies they are involved with com- the companies that do do fund them have got investments which are tied very closely to the rollout of vaccines and to the pharmaceutical companies were working in partnership with those companies so Full fact have got an immense conflict of financial interest in criticising, in particular, the vaccines and the vaccine passports. Even more so when we look at Google, because Google are their 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 second biggest single single donor. Right.
0: Well, hold hold Um, on. Right. Just just one second here. Before we do go to Google, uh, let's have a look at uh, the Omidyar Network, uh, India, and. because one of the key things that, that uh, has been suggested by many, including us, is that, of course, once you've got a digital identity established, that is eventually going to be linked, linked to financial services, including central bank digital currencies. But, but before we get to central bank digital services, uh, financial services is, is a key aspect of this.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're involved with something called the Mujiloop Loop Foundation. Well, the, the Muji Foundation is looking specifically at that, at looking at linking and indeed the ADHAR project overall, which is, as I was saying, one of the, the prior to the um, what I would call the pseudo pandemic. Prior to that, it was the largest single digital identity project in the world because you're looking at 1.2 billion people having digital identities. Uh, and the mujaloop project which is part of the which was started by the bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is specifically looking at, at how those that they call it enabling people to have access to fight to finance so people who don't have bank accounts how do they access finance in the new digital digital financial world well the Amidyar network are are investors in mujalo a Moonjaloo, which is started by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is specifically looking at how to do that how to link finance so yeah, the the idea of the adhar project overall is that it enables an indian people to access services so this is this is a this is a way for them to access services Thales, who are the who are the uh, a nato contractor they have got the, the contract for issuing the identification numbers for the ADHAR project. Um, the Amidyar network are involved in all the FinTech solutions which go around the ADHAR projects, for example, MujuLoop and others. Um, there's another one I think called that, that that is again specifically looking at linking payment systems to digital identity. Which the Amidiar network are heavily involved with, um, and they're you know they're linked obviously to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and all the other people that are involved in that project. So, and as you rightly say, this started back in twenty seventeen. So there's a commitment that goes back to before, prior that started prior to the to the uh, pseudo pandemic to to foist this upon the global economy. That's that's what we're trying to do. Right.
0: Uh, so, if you know, we've just shown what's happening in, in emerging uh, economies like India, for example. But is, does this just apply to there? Well, not really, because we have shown already uh, what the British government has been talking about with, with respect to digital identity. Uh, they're talking about creating digital management policies, which explains how they're going to create, obtain, disclose, protect, and delete data. They're talking about industry standards for information security and encryption. They're talking about telling people, well, this is good news if if changes have been made. But the key thing is, uh, they're talking about this so-called uh, principle of attributes that you have a digital wallet, and that digital wallet stores what they're describing as attributes, and that might include your age, it might include your qualifications, it might include whether you've got a driving license, it might include uh, your residence status, uh, and so on. Um, and uh, they then went on to say uh, that it could include disclosing details from the government such as your legal name, date of birth, right to reside and so on uh, or employment history. This is all encompassing uh, this idea of digital identity. It's something that the British government is absolutely pursuing as fast as it possibly can. We've shown that it's a much broader uh, policy agenda with involvement in the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, and Omidyar uh, and so on. Uh, but then uh, let's see, where are we heading to now? We've got Vaxitech, and this brings us to the Google question, uh, Ian.
1: Yeah, so Google, are, as I was saying earlier, they're the um, full fact second largest single donator um, funder, um, and they they are uh, invested in Vaxitech, which hold the um, uh, patents and rights to the AstraZeneca vaccine. So for Uh, um, Abbas um, on um, James Whale can legitimately say they're not directly funded by pharmaceutical corporations, the conflict of interest in in terms of the vaccines and and the vaccine rollout is is immense. Full fact are not free to criticise the vaccine rollout. I would imagine that their investors would be Extremely upset if they ever did that, so they can't. So they're they're limited to what they can say, and that's something which during the conversation with James Whale, um, the the gentleman that was representing Full Fact, forgot to disclose.
0: Uh, yes, he did. He clearly forgot to disclose that. So so what is Full Fact then? Uh, is Full Fact in fact there to to. Uh, Attempt to control a narrative in favour of the investors that they have and, and their other business interests. Is that is can we say can we say that much?
1: Yes. Yeah. I don't. I. And I, I, unless they're, you know, I mean, they on their website and and I think something that um, Abbas said. And 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 what I would say as well that Abbas is obviously just. Um, He's representing full fact he works for full facts i presume and you know he's just doing his job i suppose you could say so i mean this isn't about personally attacking him i mean he's he's probably believed some of this stuff as well but um you know we know that what for the what the fact checkers do is they don't offer facts they offer what they call protected opinion and this came out from meta's case um, or rather it was uh, John Stossel's case against Meta for putting warning labels on his content. Um, and in that, uh, Meta, in Meta's submission to the court, they they said, and this is a direct quote, Stossel's claims focus on the fact-check articles written by climate feedback, not the labels are fixed through Facebook's platform. The labels themselves are neither false nor defamatory. To the contrary, they constitute protected opinion well in a obviously in a democracy uh, which is based upon the foundations of freedom of speech and and freedom of expression what what's a protected opinion what what is that does that exist i mean i, I i'm not aware that there is any such thing as a protected opinion not, not in a democracy business. not in a democracy so that's the business they're in. They're in the business of offering protected opinions, not facts. Um I mean they you what they do, the fact checkers do, from, you know, if you, you sort of familiarize yourself with their kind of modus operandi, is that they use facts but they carefully select those facts and then they weave it into a narrative that is factually misleading. Now that's what they'd certainly have done with their um their claims about the Nuremberg trials, and they use they use all kinds of of, of, of uh, you know truisms and straw man arguments to construct what is essentially, if in in the whole disinformation. I and mean, we have to say it is disinformation because um, it's it's deliberate. You know, there's there's a deliberate intent there to mislead. a pact, or so it would seem.
0: Well, let's just uh, put your article on, remind everybody of uh, of the article that you have on the uh, front page of the column at the moment, Full, uh, Fact Check, Full Facts Claims by the Nuremberg Code. Now this article has been in, in the works for a little while, Ian, so it wasn't that it was a response to the uh, James Whale interview, um, but you make many of those points in this article. And so uh, I suggest everybody, um, you know, reads it, shares it, and so on. Have you got any thoughts on this?
2: No, I think I think we've covered just about uh, all the angles. Uh, uh, also, mention of course that Facebook is also a major funder of Full Fact, uh, and also that uh, fact checkers themselves don't have any uh, uh, noticeable qualifications, uh, as we've shown in previous episodes, other than they're working for a fact checking organization, or mm-hmm. they're working for Reuters, or they're working for AFP's fact checking. Uh, a department which is normally funded by some external foundation or some other initiative. So you know, whereas whereas a journalist has a body of work, and you can go look back and see what that journalist has said over the years. You can compare it. You can uh, weigh up some sort of level of credibility uh, by looking at their body of work. Certainly, uh, Jimmy James Wales uh, it, it claims to be a journalist or a radio journalist, and but he still needs the fact the corporate fact checker, the corporate funded fact checker to come in and validate whatever his bias is so that's clear what's going on there so it's, it's a bit of a fake it's a, it's a fake construct that's been used to replace uh journalism because journalists themselves apparently in the mainstream are too busy to actually do any journalism and they're more uh apt to be just copying and pasting stuff off of government news releases so there there we have it so we have a whole new a whole new uh layer of uh of propaganda inserted just nicely under the mainstream media there is a bit of cushion
0: yeah just as a final question then, Ian, uh, i mean obviously i have no doubt that that the likes of F- full fact and other so called independent fact checkers would say well okay we're receiving money from from foundation foundations and so on but that gives that the, there's still a level of independence from from the actual pharmaceutical companies or the vested interests that, that you know others might perceive to be a conflict of interest i mean th- but it's, they don't really have a leg to stand on there. If they're taking uh, more money from vested interests or people linked to vested interests than they are from the general public, then then there are major questions to be asked.
1: Content and to see if you can find anything in there which goes against those vested interests, because that would be the, the hallmark of if they're independent. That we should we should be able to find that content. I've looked. I can't. Every everything that they that they. Put out seems to be absolutely in keeping with the interests of the people that fund them. So, so I mean that was that would be the 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 issue that that would kind of prove their independence. I haven't seen anything like that.
0: Yep.
2: Now they're also used as a deplatforming mechanism. So you know when they sort of fact check various uh, people on social media or YouTube channels or whatever, then the Silicon Valley sees that as a as a green light. Uh, to deplatform that channel or to kick that person off of the platform. Yes. So the fact checkers in that case are sort of like corporate pit bulls uh, who've been deployed uh, to go out and spider and scurry around the internet and find sort of insignificant marginal blog posts and other things that they can make a big deal about, blow up to show that there's a misinformation or a disinformation crisis. And then if they can, uh, just deplatform a whole slew of uh, people on the internet yes uh, or even uh, legitimate um, independent media outlets and and so yeah they're definitely targeting or trying to target the uk column but they don't have a very clear shot uh unfortunately unfortunately they tried though they tried
0: yeah okay well look uh, let's move on to uh, canada and the uh, trucker protest patrick
2: sure well this is arguably i think the biggest story right now and the one i think we need to pay very close attention to here There's uh, Justin uh, Trudeau, that's the beta variant that has infected Canada. And then you have the trucker convoys there on the side. Trudeau versus the truckers. This is what it's just come down to, Mike. It's an absolutely epic, epic battle here in Canada. And so, so far, according to the numbers we've seen, 65,000 trucks, 55,000 semis. And look at this, convoy stretches 80 miles, okay? You can see it from the moon. It's that long. So, I mean, this is just an unbelievable scene. And we've got some fantastic footage here. uh, And we'll just roll that right now. Like, Look at this. So this is on the sort of the, the highway on the way from Toronto towards the capital of Ottawa. And you can look at the overpasses here, full of people. This is in the middle of a blizzard, okay, in Canada. So the Canadians are out in force. Look at this, one overpass after another, welcoming the truckers as they're passing. Uh, across this part of the country, heading for the capital. And their demands are quite simple. They say they uh, want an end to vaccine mandates that's affected the employment of so many people uh, in their industry. Uh, And they also want Trudeau gone. Or maybe they want one or the other, I'm not sure. I I, I suppose they would want both of those demands. Very simple demands. They're going to occupy, surround the capital, the parliament uh, in Ottawa, and they're not going to leave until they get what they want. Mm. Okay, and look at the support. Look at the support they have from canada and so this is amazing if you look at the mainstream press they'll say this is a marginal group of anti-vaxxers they tried to brush this off a couple of days ago as a, as a sort of nothing burger and this is just a, a minority faction of extremists uh, in canada who uh, have these really uh unsavory beliefs and so forth so it's but look at the support look at this people coming out on the side of the road in the middle of a snowstorm saying, you know, honking, saying, truckers, you guys are amazing. You're doing this for the country. So Canada's really, so Trudeau, he ran uh, on the election to unite Canada. And he's finally done it, Mike. He's united them against him. <laughs> so this is a, a great success uh, for the people of Canada. There's a new flag as well that's sort of the mascot of this movement. And it's a it's a black flag, and it's got an F and a C and a K and a Canadian maple leaf and then it says Trudeau underneath uh so yeah it's become a very popular flag right now so I think we've got uh Ian wants to wait yes
0: Ian that. Ian, what are your thoughts
1: I think it's fantastic you know it's very it's, it's very encouraging to see um yeah. but one of the things of course that when they go looking for Trudeau he won't be there because he's currently having to self-isolate because although he hasn't tested positive for um SARS-CoV-2 he's um Suddenly, you know, he's been in close contact with someone, so he's disappeared and laying low for for while this is well, going on.
0: so so how, s- how convenient. <laughs> so he says anyway, but uh, but we'll get yeah. to we'll get to that. So so we have a we have a bit of video.
2: Yeah. So this is Justin Trudeau, and this was his reaction when he was originally told about the truckers' convoy. And let's just roll this. Uh, uh, this is the Prime Minister of Canada here.
0: The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent the views of Canadians who have been there for each other who know that following the science and stepping up to protect each other is the best way to continue to
3: ensure our freedoms, our rights, our values as a country. Next question. A
2: fringe minority, a fringe minority of a couple of million uh, Canadians uh, with unacceptable, unacceptable views. Let's look look at some of those uh, fringe minorities here. I believe this is a First Nations uh, resident here in Canada is what she had to say uh, when she was being interviewed by an independent uh, media outlet. Roll this
3: vote because I think we have a right to choose whether we want to be vaxxed or unvaxxed. And they try to divide us, but they can't divide us no more because we've become united, both the vaxxed and the unvaxxed people.
1: What do you say to
2: the mainstream media who says that this is uh, an extremist, uh, xenophobic convoy? Do you agree with that?
0: Not so, you. No, so We are free. We are free to ch- do and choose what we want to do. And That's as, what Canada is about. And yeah. as far as the mainstream
3: media, they got to stop the lying already. Yeah. Because everybody has woken up and know that they are lying and not telling the truth. They're burying themselves. Yeah. And you know, and there's no trust. But we were trust. The grassroots people are trusting each other. They're not looking to the media anymore.
2: All right. If you have one word for Justin Trudeau, one sentence for Justin Trudeau, what is it?
3: You're toast, Justin. If you don't turn, you're toast. All you right. got
0: to get driving. Thank All you so right. much. Well, he's toast. But but I think that comment about the mainstream media is is really significant. Uh, you know, people are not paying any attention to them anymore.
3: Yeah,
2: no, they say we're trusting the grassroots is trusting each other, not the mainstream media. Powerful message there by that Canadian resident, again, out in a snowstorm supporting these truckers here. And this is a tweet by uh, this is an NHL hockey player, a national hero, a two-time gold medal winner in the Olympics hockey Theo Fleury uh, reiterating what I just said uh, Trudeau has finally united Canadians we are united against him crimes against humanity hashtag treason he's using the t-word there Mike uh-huh. uh, you don't see this from Canadians very much it takes a lot to get Canadians out of their chair and angry it's you know it's normally a very peaceful country very passive they got a lot of space thinly populated just leave me alone but now they're sort of coming together. They're congealing yeah. around this issue. This is a really incredible. Uh, and so look at this, and this is what uh, Ian was alluding to earlier. Justin Trudeau ducks the great trucker revolt. This is the Brownstone incident here. The triple vaccinated Trudeau, meanwhile, has decided that he has to go into deep hiding because he was exposed to COVID. As a member of the vanguard of the lockdown elite, he must never take risks. However small, and must keep himself safe. So this is what uh, Justin Trudeau is up to. No one can see him. He's not in the parliament in Ottawa. Meanwhile, his staff are probably going crazy because all they're hearing through the windows of their office is uh, uh, trucker horns honking. Yeah. And so, how long will will Trudeau be able to sort of, you know, um, hide from this uh, situation? So. This is the big question so look, there's been a, also a massive fundraising uh, effort for these truckers they need fuel they yeah. need food they need accommodation especially for the long haul if they're going to be doing a proper uh, sit-in or demonstration here it could go for weeks we don't know where this is going to end right uh, and this is a woman by the name of Tamara Lich and she's uh, spearheading uh their uh their efforts and also uh has a GoFundMe page, which we'll show in a minute, but a really emotional message uh, she delivered here. Let's look at, this is Tamara uh, Litch from Canada. Let's roll this.
3: Thank you guys for bearing with me. Um, I know I can get emotional and I try really hard not to, but I'm just so damn proud of all of you. I've said it before a million times, but I was at a point where I was giving up on Canada. And I was at a point where I thought we were at the point of no return. And you guys have given me hope. All of us hope here. You guys are giving us strength. You guys are keeping us going. And wow, we are one big team, one big national team, guys. We got trucks coming from the Northwest Territories. I think I told you we got clan mothers coming from the Northwest Territories. We have trucks rolling out of the north of uh, Newfoundland. We got Americans coming to support. I was on the phone with an American last night who is sending his love and support, and he's saying that the entire world is watching us, and they are. I firmly believe this is our last stand and we are not coming home until you are all free. I love you guys. I'll check in with you later, okay?
2: That's a very powerful, very powerful message. So that's straight from the heart, but look at this. So is the support from the grass roots check this out this is the uh, gofundme update here look at that number there uh in the corner we'll just blow that up what does that say in the red 6.8 million dollars okay canadian dollars uh they set a target for 7 million uh they're probably going to reach that by the end of today mm-hmm. uh, but the important part is just below that look at that 89,000 86.9 thousand individual donations Okay, that is huge. This is completely unheard of in terms of uh, crowd funders.
0: Uh, does Trudeau's political party have that much support?
2: I don't think so. They might not have that many individual donations. I'd be surprised. Anyway, he's, he's hanging on by a thread of some flimsy coalition. He managed to sneak in in the last election, but I think his days are numbered. Yes. Uh, and I think the Canadians have his number as well. So keep an eye on what's going to go on in Canada. It could get very interesting in the next couple of days.
0: Okay, well, let's uh, let's come back to the UK then. And on Wednesday's programme, Alex uh, Thompson showed this table from the Office for National Statistics. And there was a bit of confusion in the discussion uh, that we had about whether uh, this table was saying uh, 6,000 or 20,000, and of course that was, uh, we'll explain where that confusion came from uh, in a second. But of course, that is on the right-hand column uh, uh, an accumulated total. So this uh, piece of uh, of this uh, table of data is showing six thousand people who uh, died with only uh, the only cause mentioned on the death certificates being uh, COVID nineteen, uh, and by age and, and uh, sex and so on. And we were making the point that when you look at the profile there of the numbers of deaths for each particular age category, it uh, pretty much parallels normal life. It tracks
2: with uh, n- normal life, normal life. And so
0: so no problems. evidence of a pandemic there. Um, so the question is, where did the confusion come over the 6,000 and the 17,000 or 20,000 or so? Uh, well, uh, one of our members in the UK Column forums has, uh, has posted some information here, which might give us a clue. Uh, he's asking some questions, so let's uh, blow this up and say. Uh, basically, it comes because there were two Freedom of Information requests uh, to the ONS uh, doing the rounds, and one was saying 17,341 deaths, and the other one was saying 6,183 deaths, uh, and they're for similar periods of time. I mean, there's there's been a bit of difference between them, but nonetheless. Uh, and so he was speculating as to why these are different. So the results for FY number one, the 17,000 deaths, uh, was about death registrations for 2020 and 2021. Uh, that were due to COVID-19 and were recorded without any pre-existing conditions for England and Wales. And Freedom of information request number two, which was saying 6,000 deaths, asks for deaths caused solely by COVID-19, where COVID is the only cause of death listed on the death certificate. Uh, And uh, so then he goes on to say, so the difference between them, uh, he's guessing, uh, 11,188 deaths were recorded as being due to COVID. The deceased didn't have any pre-existing uh, conditions, but there was at least one other cause of death listed on the death certificate, um, whereas uh, for freedom of information uh, request number two uh, there were no other causes of death listed on the death certificate. That is purely speculative uh, and until we get confirmation from the uh, Office for National Statistics we can't know for sure. I've uh, forwarded this information to them and asked them. Uh, for comment. And uh, as soon as we get that comment, we'll report back to you. But uh, uh, Ian, uh, maybe I could just very briefly ask you for your thoughts on that.
1: I think it's very difficult to interpret a lot of the statistics because, um, you know, there's been so much manipulation of them and not not just through um, the statistical uh, authorities, but through the way death registration has been managed throughout the whole, throughout the whole thing they've removed all the safeguards and they've and they've made the and they constantly shifted the definition as well um so getting sensible data out of that is difficult
2: but I uh, obviously, underlined the main point once again as we did before. Uh, that you know, even the difference between six thousand and seventeen thousand—it's not one
0: hundred and fifty thousand. It's
2: not one hundred and fifty thousand, and and the thing is, the government and the mainstream media will keep that one hundred and fifty thousand number ticking over uh, to to next year, and they'll just keep. The sort of the total number run as a running total which that alone the fact that they're doing that the fact that every other western country is doing that shows you that there's a coordinated effort and that the way they're representing that is absolute fraud on its face where is abbas from full fact yes he really needs to get uh, get his teeth into this one
1: well, we, well indeed, that would be nice that would be yes ian yeah there's no basis for the hundred and fifty thousand claim um, what what it what the the way that that has been achieved is through definitely through statistical manipulation not for not through any kind of clinical basis if you if you look at how death has been attributed that doesn't even in many many cases and something that um that actually Abbas from full facts said on the james wales show is that for example when they were discharging people into the care homes in the uh, first part of the of the outbreak of the pseudo-pandemic, they didn't know they hadn't tested them. So they were they were putting people into care homes and then attributing to death to COVID-19, often based on nothing more than a video conference between a GP and a representative, and non probably a non-medically qualified representative of the care home. And that was the basis for claiming that that, that, that was a death from COVID. So it's it's the, the 150,000 figure or 160 or 170 whatever they but it's, it's total nonsense yes
2: but There's the, no that basis for it the last point is about the 150,000 deaths or whatever the inflated sacred death total is is that that big fat number is used to justify from the government a state of emergency mm. and that state of emergency is used to justify an emergency use authorization for a a vaccine product, for instance, or this range of pills that they're rolling out. Okay, so again, we go back to that funding and conflict of interest. Mm. Of course, we don't expect full fact to ever challenge the sacred death toll, because if you challenge the sacred death toll, you have to yank away the state of emergency and with it, all of the experimental pharmaceutical products that they have flooded the public with without having properly tested it or done any of the due diligence that's normally done with these sort of products, especially uh, a genetic d- gene therapy uh, drug like an mRNA vaccine.
1: Ian. Yeah, there, there's no state of emergency. They they avoided the Civil Contingencies Act, so they never declared a state of emergency. Well, that, they they they.
0: That's right. They, they they instead passed the Coronavirus Act, which which. Was Take even the worse state. than the, uh, the. It was even worse than the Civil Contingencies Act, which at the time when that was passed, we were saying, oh, look, guys, this is pretty bad." Uh, but the, the Coronavirus Act uh, puts the Civil Contingencies Act to shame. The
2: lo- the loophole is a state of alarm, or they they, they use other yeah. terms, uh, fiat terms, uh, to replace state of emergency. Yes. State of emergency actually has, pardon legal. me, and you're right, has legal. Uh, uh, ramifications yes. and standing, yes.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. Sorry, and we do we do need to move on. So look, uh, let's let's move on to this. Um, and this is uh, uh, Chelsea Clinton uh, tweeting out, um, "Anti-vax grift going strong." She says, "Why is Substack facilitating science denialists' ability to profit from destructive lies, brackets, and comforting profiting themselves, comfortable profiting themselves? Uh, anti-vaxers making at least two point five million dollars a year." From uh, on from publishing on Substack via The Guardian. So here is the uh, the Guardian article. Um, and in fact, they they are suggesting that uh, uh, the the total figure is more like twelve million dollars a year uh, when you take everybody together. Um, but nonetheless, I just wanted to put this up, Patrick, because what it's this is another attack on uh, the ability of people to publish. This is an effort to discredit or to embarrass. The platforms into getting content which is viewed by some as being inappropriate off those platforms and shutting down uh, any kind of counter-narrative.
2: Or well, they want to shut down the economy or the ability to uh, for journalists uh, to earn money uh, on these platforms this is what they're doing. I do detect a hint of jealousy in Chelsea, Chelsea Clinton's uh, uh, tweet there. Uh, they're probably making more than She is, and it's a bit rich for Chelsea to be talking about any kind of a grift. I just have to say two words: Clinton Foundation. Okay, we'll We'll just leave it there. Fill in the blanks. Uh,
0: But we shouldn't ever forget, of course, that Chelsea Clinton, uh, a close colleague of Devi Sridhar, who of course has been advising uh, the Scottish so-called government on their COVID policy over the last uh, couple of years.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, the anti-vax grift. What about the uh, big pharma vaccine grift? That seems to be, uh, by orders of magnitude, much bigger, much bigger indeed. And yes. by the way, the CEO of Pfizer, he uh, was saying in the media recently, two doses, two jabs, it doesn't actually provide any protection, he's now saying. This is the Albert uh, Berla, I believe his name is, CEO of Pfizer. Good. So maybe we should just re- rewind all these uh, mainstream media articles and all these government statements. There's a lot of misinformation in there now.
0: Clearly must be. But uh, speaking of censorship, um, well, here's tw- uh, Twitter. And uh, well, apparently your tweet is misleading, uh, Patrick. But this is sort of very similar to what Ian was talking about in his article. Uh, Facebook doing the same thing with these uh, little banners that they put on your, uh, that's your right. social media posts.
2: Well, that's this isn't my uh, my tweet, actually. This is the 21st Century Wire official media account. Well, see. Uh, but we were tweeting out there the uh, Robert F. Kennedy Junior video. This is from the Stop the Mandates rally in Washington D.C. over the last weekend, uh, and so yeah, it's great. He's talking about VARES and how uh, you know the vares system is is being uh, derided by all of these uh, public health people and the media. But he said, in fact, it's the only system that we have, and it's uh, r- drastically underreporting uh, adverse reactions and deaths. But here, let's let's look at what uh, what did Twitter put down at the bottom here. Let's take a closer look at that. They're calling that misleading. Okay, this is Robert F. Kennedy himself in his words at a public event, but apparently uh, this can't be promoted. Why? Uh, learn why health officials consider COVID-19 vaccines safe for most people. This tweet can't be replied to, shared or liked. Uh, so it's basically, you can quote retweet it, but that's about it. Right, so right, the, right. So
0: can I, can I just say, Patrick, that is absolutely fundamental to what's going on with the online safety bill and this this push towards censorship. They say they're protecting freedom of speech. You have the right to speak, but you don't have the right to be heard. And that's what that represents. So that what they say there, this tweet can't be replied to, shared, or liked, represents the right for you to, or whoever posted that twi- tweet, to post that tweet, but you have no right for anybody else to see it or for you, that, that opinion to be heard.
2: And not only that, this violates Twitter's own terms and conditions because they do say that uh, if, if it's a first... If it's a first person statement, a public statement by a public person or personality or official or whatever, that that can't be sort of uh, deemed as, uh, you know, misinformation or whatever. So they're not even following their own terms and conditions.
0: Ian.
1: That was said on the James Whale interview was that when he was asked about, um, uh, you know, who checks the fact checkers. he he said that you know just like any other organization we put facts out and these can be checked by you the public you are able to check the check the facts that we put out but the problem is that the fact checkers are claiming additional authority they're not the same as anybody else putting out information they are claiming that what they are saying is a is definitive truth and you can't challenge it because it's being used by the social media platforms to make something like, you know, when somebody else puts information out, to say, no, that's incorrect. This is the official truth. So it's not the same. So again, that was that statement was misleading. It's the science. So, you
2: know, back to the RFK tweet. So what is it? Let's call it what it is, Mike. This is big pharma censorship. This is what these uh, organizations are doing. This is what social media is doing. They're protecting a uh, legalized drug cartel mm. from criticism. Let's not beat around the bush. That's exactly what's happening. So it is big pharma censorship across the board.
0: Uh, Okay, so uh, another tweet pushed out today from NHS 100K. uh, We'll fight mandatory COVID vaccines in the courts, say NHS staff uh, facing SAC. And they're highlighting a Telegraph article there. Um, And the subhead on the Telegraph article, "Medics, uh, medics warn compulsory jabs are unlawful and force health workers to give away the bodily autonomy. Uh, and so uh, what they're saying is that the man, the mandate goes against fundamental human right of bodily autonomy, That uh, uh, guidance to employers says all frontline staff who've not been vaccinated should be uh, called into f- uh, formal meetings uh, from the 4th of February and warned that they face dismissal. So the pressure is increasing, Ian, now, uh, I know you've been speaking to somebody recently that uh, that is sort of facing this situation. What what uh, what's your thoughts on this?
1: It's absolutely appalling. I mean, people people that were have uh, were, that everyone was stood outside clapping for because that's what they were told to do, and now being sacked, and no one's clapping for them now. Uh, that these are the same doctors and nurses that were that worked throughout the pseudo-pandemic, but worked in very difficult conditions in the NHS. They, they were facing a deluge of, of propaganda and fear, just like everybody else, with a, a service that had been hobbled completely, that had the rug pulled out from underneath it, and, and were facing very difficult working conditions. But throughout all that, they worked through all of that, did their duty, now, somebody said to me the other day that they weren't willing to support the nurses and doctors that are being sacked, and care workers as well. We should add because it's anybody that's under the that comes under CQC regulation. So they they weren't prepared to support them because they didn't speak out at the time. Now there were there were huge there it was it's well it's clear that they had faced a lot of non-disclosure agreements. Doctors that did speak out were very publicly sacked. So of course doctors and nurses were reluctant to speak out, but nonetheless, they now find themselves in a position where they were, um, you know, I, I know people that have received their letters and have been told that, I mean, the government have been very disingenuous about this. They've said that they've made vaccine a condition of redeployment, not employment, but effectively that's employment because as noted by the people that I know that have received their letters, they said, yes, there's an opportunity for redeployment. You know, you can go forward and apply for another job. But realistically, we haven't got any opportunities to redeploy you. So you effectively, you're facing the sack unless you comply with this government dictat.
0: Uh, right. Well, the person who's leading this uh, this legal action is the doctor who uh, challenged Sajid Javid um, on you know, the video clip from Sky News that was that that uh, we covered on on this program. Um, and I believe uh, there's a, a group called the, the Together Association um, is part of this as well. They are um, asking for public support for this legal action. And so, if you have a hunt on uh, your search engine of choice for the Together Association, you'll find the page which is asking for people to sign up and give their their support for that. Uh, Now, let's, uh, Patrick, move on to uh, Europe. And this is the New York Times here. And I just thought this was quite an interesting article uh, because uh, the headline is, eco-leftists and and the far right, vaccine mandate forges unlikely coalition of protesters in Germany. Now, Germany, I believe has a 60 or 63% uh, coverage in terms of vaccines. So that's a significant uh, no camp in Germany. Uh, and the sub head here is the prospect of a vaccine mandate has galvanized a nationwide protest movement, uh, attracting uh, naturalists, neo-Nazis, and ordinary citizens alike. <laughs> so there's there's a level of desperation in this particular article that I haven't seen in the mainstream press before. But the bottom line here is, what we're increasingly seeing is people setting aside their political uh, spectrum posturing, shall we say, and, and they're starting to be willing to, they're recognizing the common enemy and they're starting to be willing to work together, despite the fact they don't agree on climate change or on a whole host of other topics.
2: Uh, yeah, it's shaping up to be the summer of love in Germany. You're going to have uh, uh, hippies and neo-Nazis uh, frolicking in the park uh, in a few months from now. No, you're right, Mike, because they're, they're coalescing around some common uh, issues that cut right through uh, politics, and that's freedom, liberty, right to bodily uh, autonomy and, and personal sovereignty. So these are universals, and this is where the governments have gone wrong. This is where some of the public health mavens have lost it, okay? Because they've taken the authoritarian line, the totalitarian line. They've taken the fascist line by partnering with transnational corporations and in, in, in basically throwing everybody's human rights and your personal sovereignty under the bus. Okay, for what? Well, we, we've we detailed that many, many times in the past for an agenda and for profit as well. Sure. So, it, it, so the... It is bringing people together. This is the most extraordinary thing uh, about this movement and I'm telling you, it's unstoppable.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's right. Okay, let's uh, just say if you like what the UK Column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community. There are options to help us there and that would be very much appreciated. Also share any of our material that is still available on the various platforms. Uh, You could support us via the shop if you would like. Uh, URL is on the screen at the moment. Uh, And then uh, Patrick, we want to mention Phil Zimmerman, uh, Killing Granny.
2: Well, this is a comedian who's a big friend of the show, of the UK column. His act is uh, said to be inspired by this news program's broadcast over the last two years, Uh, and he premiered at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. He's doing the Leicester Comedy Festival. This is Phil Zimmerman, Killing Granny, Uh, and this is February fourth, fifth, and sixth at the Leicester Guildhall. So if you're in the Midlands area. Uh, you want to check this out screenshot that and go and support phil you can guess what the show's about mike killing granny it's about covid uh so here he is breaking through the door like uh, jack nicholson uh, in the shining it's that terrifying this show actually no it's actually really funny but uh yeah it's a good one if you're in the area if you're in the midlands check it out
0: Okay, now on Wednesday's program, we brought up the Russian ambassador to the UK. These aren't his words. It was an official statement from the Russian embassy. So I've put it against him because he is ultimately the boss. But what was he saying? The logic is simple. Let no day pass without accusing Russia of preparing an imminent invasion of Ukraine. And on this concocted basis, try to play the ideological leader of the free world defending itself from Autocrats. So I just thought, Patrick, before we come into to your segment on this, we would have a brief look at the type of headlines that we're doing the rounds today. So here we have the Times. Russia ready to mount complete takeover of Ukraine in two weeks. West fears. Hmm. Excellent. Uh, we have the Mirror. Russia moves military medical units to front line an ominous sign. Ukraine war is close. Uh, and uh, we have Sky News here. British firms warned to bolster cyber defenses against threat of new Russian attacks. Those nasty Russians. We've just got to go and kill them.
2: Yeah, expect a cyber attack. That's always a good one to pull out of the hat.
0: Yes. So, look, what is what is the latest on the Ukrainian situation?
2: Well, I'd like to talk about that cyber attack. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that hopefully uh, in the future because that's where this that's one of the byproducts of all this. Yes, we're going to have a sort of global cyber emergency, and they'll be blaming uh, state actors or or non-state actors, but probably from Russia, China, and Iran. Okay. Yeah just to boil that down for everybody. But so where are we at with all this uh, this hysteria? The war drums are beating uh, for the Ukraine. Let's just take a look here. Let's open up these two Russian dolls and find out what's inside. So this is about pain in the Ukraine, Mike, and there's plenty of that to go around, especially for the Ukrainians. There's no real pain for the United States. They actually don't have any skin in this game per se. but the Europeans do, the Germans do, and the Ukrainians do, and of course the Russians, do as well. But not the United States. Not the United States. It's a pretty much a risk-free escapade so far.
0: Does Britain have any pain in the game?
2: I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. No. But so st- still a risk-free exercise so far. But let's just take a look at uh, what the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, uh, said. He has responded to the white paper delivered to Washington by Antony Blinken, U.S. Secretary of State. And NATO submitted its own white paper with, quote, ideas about collective security and so so this is the good news mike is they're passing papers around rather than bullets and bombs so far so i'm happy and encouraged about this here's what lavrov is saying these are the main points if you want to know where Russia's coming from on this uh, if it depends on the russian federation there will be no war very important statement straight out of the gates by lavrov i do not rule out that someone wants to provoke military action the kiev regime does not control most of its units. He's talking about the sort of the the, the, the right sector, uh, the extremist uh, paramilitary wings. The Banderites, The uh... Banderites, et cetera. So he's, he's hinting there. He's trying to send a message to uh, his diplomatic colleagues in the West. Look at the Ukraine's uh, military setup. It is not one unified uh, uh, sort of organization. And that's dangerous when you have heightened war tensions. That's the point. That he's trying to make so if zelensky this is the president vladimir zelensky of ukraine if he wants to discuss donbass eastern ukraine but uh, he has to come to russia to normalize relations with the russian federation that means zelensky goes to moscow talks to putin without using the us as an intermediary or staging some elaborate conference in geneva which Joe Biden and John Kerry would love to go and play the peacemaker mm. at and say they've they've saved the day. So they're saying, no, let's skip all that. Bilateral negotiations, you and me, Moscow and Kiev, let's do it. Let's yep. do a deal. So this is, this is the big fear here for the West and NATO. Jan Stoltenberg doesn't want that to happen. U.S. threats to expel the Russian ambassador Antonov from Washington are rude, says Lavrov. He's being very polite there. Uh, And if it continues, Russia has reserves uh, to balance uh, the number of diplomats. He says, we will take retaliatory measures if it's not possible to agree with the West on the principles of security guarantees in Europe. He's talking about uh, ballistic missiles Mm -hmm. or advanced weaponry and so forth that really shouldn't be on the Russian border. Uh, He's also talking about uh, a lack of some sort of collective security framework which Russia uh, put forward in December and has yet to have, well, he's got a response apparently from Blinken. I don't know if it's a response or more just negotiations, but we'll see. Washington's adoption of a new package of sanctions against Russia will be the equivalent to a break in relations. This is a very important point. This means if Washington lumps on uh, preemptive sanctions, they're saying that we will enact harsh sanctions if Russia invades Ukraine, and they're going to invade any minute. They've been saying this for the last month. So, But Russia believes that they're going to try to enact those sanctions anyway, Mm. or, or if some little event happens or some false flag event, who knows? Cyber attack? A cyber attack could result in massive sanctions. So what does that mean? That means a break in relations. No more normal diplomatic relations. That's a prelude for what? For war. Yeah. So this is so the cyber the cyber piece is important. Okay. And lastly, here Lavrov is saying uh, a new Russian American meeting will take place in the coming weeks. Moscow will today send requests to Western countries about the fulfillment of their OSCE. Uh, commitments. And he made an important point here as well is that, you know, NATO says, well, we have a right to uh, exercise our open door policy that no, no country should be denied uh, entry into NATO. That would be just uh, against the rules based international order. And Russia's saying, hold on, hold on. Uh, you're not free to make uh, arrangements with any country uh, to join NATO if, if it compromises the security of another osce member being russia mm. so in other words there, there are sort of uh, there's a price to pay for any of these agreements and this is part of the negotiations west is saying us uk saying no 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 nato is sacrosanct nato policy is the equivalent to international law according to us nato members but it's only policy okay this is where the rub comes.
0: When did NATO get that uh, elevation in its, uh, in its status?
2: They've gradually drifted this out in the last couple of years. Right. And you can see it in the rhetoric. Jan Stoltenberg is talking like this as well. Like NATO is global government. NATO policy is de facto international law. And Russia is saying, no, forget it. That's not how it works. So Anthony Blinken did a press conference yesterday, and he was just stumbling and bumbling his way through it. It was absolutely incredible. I picked out a very important clip. Listen to this. This is U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken. He's a bit nervous as well because things have gone a little bit past the comfortable zone here. But listen to this. Uh, As we're taking steps to ensure that uh,
0: the global energy supply isn't disrupted, uh, that too is an important focus. Should Russia choose to weaponize its natural gas by cutting supply to Europe even more
2: than it's already done? We're in discussions with governments and major producers around the world about surging their capacity. We're engaged in detailed conversations with our allies and partners about coordinating our response, including how best to deploy their existing energy
0: stockpiles. All this effort is aimed at mitigating price shocks and ensuring that people in the United States, Europe, and around the world have the energy they need no matter what Russia decides to do. Sorry, Patrick, you're going to have to remind me, who's shutting off gas supplies from Russia?
2: Uh, the U.S. The U.S. Mm. wants to stop the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. They don't want Russian gas to go to Germany. People in Europe are paying four times the amount for gas. The price has exploded. And that's all what? They're trying to blame Russia for that. That The U.K. and the U.S. are trying is their hardest to stop Nord Stream 2. And then the U.S. Secretary of State's going saying, oh, w- w- Russian weaponization of gas. Okay, so th- this this shows you they're not credible. The U.S., that's the top diplomat in the U.S., to go and basically contradict themselves and bl- blame Russia for doing something that they themselves are doing and causing the problem. They're not serious. You can't expect to be taken seriously. Mm. That's the big problem here. And just to round that out, here, here's the other points that uh, Blinken made. Russia needs to stop, listen closely to what he's saying, de-escalate aggression in Ukraine. Uh, They need to stop inflammatory rhetoric. Uh, Russia needs to approach the European discussion on collective security with a spirit of reciprocity.
0: Sorry, run that one by me again. Uh,
2: They need to approach the European uh, discussion on collective security. That would be
0: European Defense Union that we're talking about there. It
2: could be, it could be, but collective security arrangements with Russia and Europe. So all of the things that, that they're accusing Russia of doing here, and they need to stop doing one, two, three, mm. this is what the U.S. is doing. They're doing exactly those three things. So it's really hard to have any dip- diplomacy or any negotiations when you're dealing with somebody that is this, uh, this sort of duplicitous. Yes. It's really difficult. But yes. uh, I think Ian wants Ian. to chime in here.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's, it's quite staggering. The, the duplicity in a lot of these statements i mean we know that the us are, are desperate to sell lng to the european market uh, that's so by, fracked
0: that's fracked lng by fracked, the
1: way. fracked lng and we've just had figures come out today or it might have been yesterday from the uk government showing that the majority of our gas production is being exported to the european market <laughs> so we're so we're making at, at the time that we're accusing russia of of cutting off um energy supplies to the to the european market we're making money and profit but this is more more to the point that's being done by multinational corporations that own the gas production it's not being done it's not like the government are in control of that they're free to sell their gas to whoever they want to and currently they're uh, uh, the largest proportion of our gas production is being exported to the european market according to government figures
2: Yes. I mean, the, it, true. And also, the, you know, the U.S. is desperate to offload their LNG yes. uh, and expect Germany to pay two to three times the price uh, on a bottle than they would uh, for the same sort of cubic volume coming by via pipeline from from Russia. So it's more expensive, uh, more difficult, not as sustainable, according to the climate czars, uh, shipping it across the Atlantic rather than getting it uh, from Russia on tap, okay. So anyway, this is where it's going. The bottom line here, Mike and everybody, is that the the U.S. is really scared, because in Britain too, because they're losing the Donbass. Okay, the east Eastern Ukraine may never return, just like Crimea. They may end up that oblast may may end up being uh, a separate uh, country. It may languish in Kosovo type status as well. many years i don't know if they'll be able to pull off a clean break that crimea did because crimea just you reunified with russia it was 60 years separated Mm -hmm. from russia and all it did was you reunified despite what your western pundits say that putin annexed it and stole it from the ukraine so but they're losing the east and i think this is one of the reasons why you're seeing this big uh production going on right now is they're really scared because if they lose eastern ukraine they've lost crimea it's not coming back Mm -hmm. okay so if they lose uh, Eastern Ukraine because of things that that the UK and the US have done covertly by by staging a coup in in Kiev in 2014, it's their fault mm. that the Ukraine is breaking up. It's backfired on them. Oh, blame Barack Obama. Uh, it was under his watch that all this mess started. So here's here's things are getting really hairy now. Look at this. Now you, take this with a pinch of salt. It's CNN. CNN. Yeah. Okay, but Ukrainian official tells CNN Biden's call with Ukrainian president uh, Vladimir Zelensky did not go well, but the White House disputes the account. So what's going on here? Now, CNN has been taking shots at Biden in the last couple of weeks, okay? So they're not protecting Biden like they used to. So there could be some truth in this. Let's just take a closer look at the claim here. Zelensky uh, restated his position that the threat from Russia remains dangerous, but uh, ambiguous, and it is not certain that an attack will take place. Mm the Ukrainian official said. Now that's a big departure, actually, from all the rhetoric and the hysteria that we've had uh, pumped uh, into our media and down shoved down our throats for the last two months. So let's just take a closer look here. The White House, however, disputes the officials' account warning that anonymous sources were leaking falsehoods. That's a bit rich of the White House to be chastising anonymous sources here. So I think there's some truth in this story. So that what does that say? That tells you this, the Ukrainians are wising up, okay, they realize that they're getting uh, used in the Western media by by the US, by NATO, uh, as well, they're being used as basically a pawn in a bigger geopolitical game. Okay, so this is, I think this is a very encouraging development.
0: Okay, well, in the meantime, what is Britain doing? Well, Chatham House, perhaps, uh, is a good place to go and look. Uh, by insisting on guarantees against NATO enlargement, which his own actions are preventing, uh, Putin is using classic disinformation tactics to justify the buildup of troops on Ukraine's border. Uh, and so they, uh, they link to uh, a, an article on Chatham House's website called Exposing Russia's Alternative Reality uh, Protects Europe. Uh, well, what are they saying? Let's have a look at the final paragraph. But if the Kremlin's lies are allowed to stand without challenge, this only reinforces the alternate universe Russia is pushing, and the end result will be a major weakening of Euro-Atlantic security. This is, I thought, was a fascinating statement, because again, we've got in the West, you know, a British or, you know, a Western, uh, in this case, think tank, but it's still a voice piece for for Western policy, suggesting that it's Russia's fault if there's a problem, but a weakening of Euro-Atlantic security, when in fact it's, the West's fault, because it's what Britain and the United States are doing that's causing this problem, as we'll see. Because, uh, well, here we have the de- from the Élysée, uh, which of course is the uh, French government declaration of the advisors of the N four heads of state and governments. They were holding uh, an event: France, Germany, Russia, uh, and so on. Uh, and let's have a look at what they, they had to say. They reinfirmed the Minsk agreements on the basis of work that the Normandy of the Normandy format and are committed to reduce current disagreements on the way forward. Uh, the support, they support unconditional observance of the ceasefire. So, again, Russia was involved in this, negotiate, this uh, diplomatic discussion. So, Russia is saying that they uh, support unconditional observances of the ceasefire and full adherence to the measures to strengthen the ceasefire on the 22nd of July 2020, regardless of differences in other issues and so on. And so, and so the comments go on. So, there is, you know, uh, they're meeting again. There is diplomatic efforts going on within Europe. At the same time, Britain and the United States are pushing the war drums as hard as they can.
2: Oh, no, they're they're pushing the Minsk Accords off to the side. So these are diplomats doing real work. They're trying to make progress on the situation in Ukraine. They're getting no media coverage. They're getting fobbed off by uh, ministers and and politicians because that's not the agenda. They want Minsk Accords to fail. They want the ceasefire in Ukraine to fail because uh, if if it succeeds, then Europe has to wind down sanctions. Mm -hmm. The EU has to wind down sanctions with Russia. In other words, the emergency's over. And so the US does not want that to happen. And I definitely think that the UK doesn't either. They wanna keep the emergency going, the crisis going, and they wanna keep sanctions uh, in place and maybe lop a whole new raft of sanctions on top of that as well.
0: Uh, Now, uh, of course, we've just covered uh, Ukraine, Russia, and what is going on between us and Russia and so on. Uh, But And we're trying to do it without sort of generating a lot of fear amongst people, but there's still fear uh, propaganda out there. Um, And so I just wanted to highlight this this clip. I'm not going to play the whole clip. I'll I'll, uh, bring us back whenever we've seen enough of it, but you get an idea of what this clip uh, was about. It's been doing the rounds uh, by email and and other places uh, in the last day or two. So let's have a quick look at this.
3: We're interrupting normal programming to join the BBC News Desk for some breaking news.
0: Welcome to the BBC News Desk. We have breaking news of a serious incident between Russian and NATO forces near the coast of Latvia. Although the details are uncertain, early reports indicate that a Russian surveillance aircraft was fired upon by naval vessels of NATO forces operating in that region, after apparently straying into Latvian sovereign airspace. It's unclear at this stage whether the Russian aircraft was shot down or not. This incident comes in the wake of a similar event some time ago, in which two Russian pilots were killed after being shot down by Turkish surface-to-air missiles near the border with Syria. It's not known what caused this latest incident, or at exactly what time the conflict took place,
1: but it is believed that it happened earlier today, and that Russian forces have returned fire. And we do now have...
0: So you get the you get the point. Uh, Now, the point, the the thing is here, this is being circulated uh, amongst uh, various groups. Um, But actually, if we have a look at uh, the source of it, it's not from this period of time. I think it was produced in 2018 or so. But this was what the BBC said on Twitter uh, in April 2018. This video clip uh, claiming to be a BBC news report about NATO and Russia has been circulating widely, particularly on WhatsApp. We'd like to make it absolutely clear that it's fake. And does not come from the BBC. So, my point here is, Patrick, that that we do see material that's uh, uh, being shared on various platforms, uh, which isn't genuine. Uh, and people, have, we've we've got to encourage people to be a bit more discerning about what's real and what isn't. But if we look at uh, a close up of of the uh, of the studio that they're using, I mean, it's clearly based on the uh, you know it's been quite well done. It's been clearly based on the BBC studio. Uh, but the first thing you notice is it is a green screen and uh, the presenter is standing in front of the desk, whereas normally the BBC presents beside those big screens on the left-hand side there. And there's a bit of depth to the thing, whereas there's no depth on this uh, at all. So
2: It's a standard virtual studio template, by the way, you can get on some of the software programs. Right.
0: Uh, and so we are going to uh, make the point that this is fake um, and people shouldn't be fooled by it. But uh, it is, I mean, the question is who's been pushing this right or where did it originate? The BBC claims they didn't. They don't know where it originated. And I'm sure it probably originated with uh, uh, some satirical uh, source, something like that.
2: It could have been, yeah. Or maybe it was uh, some sort of internal uh, uh, propaganda uh, exercise or course or a drill or something, rather. It could be from the military. Who knows? Yes. It's difficult to say.
1: Uh, Ian. Yeah, and this is this is why, this is the justification that the so-called fact-checkers use, isn't it, is that we can't, you know, there's so much misinformation, disinformation, or various information out there that we can't possibly differentiate between that and reality. That is the basis of their claim that they offer the truth. But the, the point is that we, are, nothing has changed. We still need to exercise critical thinking. As just as you say on the UK column about page, you know, why should you trust us? You shouldn't. No one. We shouldn't be talking about the, about uh, information in terms of trust. We should be talking about information in terms of applying critical thinking to everything that we hear, read, and see. And that's how that's what we need to do. And 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 I I think that that is not something that we focus on in our education system. So, you know, until we start grasping the fact that it's our individual responsibility to apply that and standards of evidence to information, then there's always going to be space for people like the fact checkers to say that what we should be doing instead is just trusting what we are told uh, from the right sources, the official sources. And that is a means of controlling us and controlling the population. And it is our responsibility to reject that and to think critically about the information we consume.
0: Absolutely. Thank you very much for that. Now, uh, Patrick, let's move on to Julian Assange. Uh, the, uh, the crowd funder for, the, uh, uh, for his legal defence uh, is up to £200,445 at the moment. But the good news from the last couple of days, of course, uh, is that uh, he's won leave to appeal. Uh, and this is going to be an appeal to the Supreme Court. Now, the question then is, is this his last opportunity of appeal?
2: Uh, that I'm not sure, but I would, I would venture to say possibly not. Um, I know this is an incredibly complex uh, case. You have uh, appeal opportunities on both sides of the Atlantic, of course, uh, but this would be ideal uh, to have this uh, put, put a halt on this right here yeah. with a UK decision. They have a very strong case, obviously. Uh, they have the facts on their side. They have the law. They have international law on their side. What they don't have on their side is the uh, political uh, power and unfortunately that power is concentrated between london uh, and washington dc on this issue and uh, they seem to be very unforgiving uh, at every turn so far so you know talk about credible news outlets uh, WikiLeaks is probably the most uh, purely credible uh, objective news outlet probably uh, in the world over the last Uh, a couple of decades and they're being absolutely treated like a hostile foreign intelligence service Mm. to borrow the 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 words of mike pompeo himself uh, in the u.s so it's it's really shameful but you know what's what's even worse is uh, joe biden's press secretary
0: the uh, lovely jen
2: jen pisaki was challenged on this issue said give us your position on this jen uh, by someone in the press pool who's being very polite and wearing a mask well, Jen doesn't actually wear a mask herself, but let's uh, let's look at this exchange. This is very interesting.
0: And then um, quickly, a U.K. court is now allowing Julian Assange to appeal his extradition to the United States. The Justice Department, as you know, isn't commenting. Um, but what about the president? He says press freedom is critical for democracy, so why is he continuing to pursue this case? Is the reason that
3: he's pursuing this Trump era case because... Julian Assange embarrassed the
0: Democratic Party in 2016. Again, this is uh, under the purview of the, Demo- the Department of Justice, uh,
2: so I don't have any comment from here. Go ahead. Oh, dear. I'll, I'll translate that for you. I just assume Julian Assange rots in Belmarsh Prison uh, for, till his final days. That's what Jen Psaki really meant there, and that's what the White House probably thinks on this as well. Nobody wants to touch it. In fact, the Democrats are still hurt. By the 2016 election. Many of them blame Julian Assange and WikiLeaks for Hillary Clinton's uh, dramatic uh, loss in 2016 to John- Donald Trump. So that those scars run deep, and they're political scars, have nothing to do with the rule of law, have nothing to do with U.S. values and, and democratic values and the free
0: press. Uh, well, if Julian Assange's human rights are uh, being uh, abused significantly here, uh, if you remember back uh, in December, I think it was December the fifteenth, uh, we had Dominic Raab on screen. Uh, here he is, uh, and he was talking about uh, the tradition of liberty that we have in the UK. That's a proud history, and all this kind of thing. But of course, uh, what was he doing? He was launching new legislation uh, or proposals for new legislation to strike what he described as a proper balance between individual rights, personal responsibility, and the wider public interest. Now, this concept of the wider public interest in uh, with respect to to rights in the UK is something completely alien to the United Kingdom. Um, uh, And uh, that particular statement is extremely dangerous. So just consider it individual rights, uh, personal responsibility and the wider public interest. Uh, This of course related to COVID. If you take it in the COVID context, you begin to understand what's going on. There was a consultation uh, on this. It is the time to to take part in the consultation is running out. If you want to uh, uh, take part in that consultation. The details are at consult.justice.gov.uk/human-rights/human-rights-act-reform, um, and uh, we urge everybody uh, to, to get involved in that. But the reason we're mentioning it today is because uh, suddenly it's uh, again doing the rounds, is being shared, and people are asking us about it. So I wanted to remind everybody: if you want to see our original report on it, it's in the episode of the UK Column News from the 15th of December, 2021. Uh, and Alex Thompson had quite a bit to say on that on it at the time, but I'm interested to get your thoughts Ian, uh, on this concept of a proper balance between individual rights, personal responsibility and the wider public interest.
1: Well, my perspective is that human rights are not rights at all. They're permits, they're permits for behavior. Um, human rights you know have been set down in the for example the universal declaration of human rights um i think it's clause 29 which says that basically that that this this document doesn't mean anything because the government can override it anytime they like um and that's what we're seeing with the concept of human rights is that they're expendable and they can governments can set you know if we talk about something like the general good then sure we all have to live together and we might we might you know come to some sort of agreement about the things that we need to do that are important for us as a whole but that needs to follow some sort of reasoned debate based on evidence and based on an exploration of all the evidence and all the facts so that we can have an open debate about it yes but had, le- sorry a-
0: let me just let me just interrupt you there because of course dominic grab wasn't talking about the general welfare he was talking about the wider public interest and actually when you look at what that means, when you look at the po- political landscape and the use of the term "public interest" in the political landscape, what that means is the interest of the government. That doesn't mean the interest of the general public.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. That's that was trying. That was the point I was trying to work towards. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's if you if you can't if you can't have an open debate if you live in a society that is not based on the principles that Rab claims it is based on. Because yeah, anyone can just say these things. But when we're living in a world where, or living in a society which val- clearly values censorship, which clearly does not respect individual, uh, you know, for example, bodily integrity, it doesn't it doesn't respect the freedom of the press. Case in point, Assange. So when we live in that sort of society, the, as you quite as you just just said. The definition of you know what is in the public interest is purely the definition of what is in the interest of the government of the day. That's all it means. And so corporate interest and well. and corporate and the corporate interests that are that are lobbying to make sure that that the public interest is their interest, and that's 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 what's happening. So Bates, and then we talk about things like human rights, which I can understand that given you know the the history of human rights people do do believe in but in truth no government grants you your rights no nobody grants you your rights you're born with them your your inalienable human rights are what you are born with it's not up to a government to decide what your rights are they don't have that power they don't have that authority our inalienable rights are ours from birth and what we really need to do is assert them
0: Absolutely, 100% agree. Okay, thank you very much, Ian, for that. Uh, Let's end then, Patrick. Uh, What's Biden up to?
2: What's Biden up to? Well, well, the Biden administration's got this $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill, and they're introducing a new plan here to lower speed limits and expand bike lanes in a bid to reach zero traffic fatalities. So zero COVID. Um, and zero carbon and zero traffic fatality. So zero, it's all about the zero, Mike. You got to achieve that great knot. That's uh, the sacred knot, the zero. So there's Pete Buttigieg. He's our uh, transport secretary. He's well qualified for the job because he used to be the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, population uh, 40,000. So he's very qualified for this position. Uh, And he says the Biden administration is preparing to roll out a new Safe system, using the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill that's meant to repair the 40,000 broken bridges in America, the dams, and all the rest of it, the jetties, the berms, right, all that, uh, reservoirs. No, 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 no. We need to make it safe. We need a safe system. And we uh, design this to decrease traffic fatalities nationwide. What are they going to do? What are they going to do besides lower the speed limit? Guess what this is going to be? speed cameras, uh-huh. speed cameras. So the infrastructure bill is going to be, they're going to take a whole chunk out of this to ramp up speed cameras and uh, other things to slow down people who are driving, to make driving more miserable than it already is. Okay. So you can see the agenda that's going on here. This is great reset stuff, isn't it? This is heading- uh, Total, total. This is a Schwabian effort here by Pete Buttigieg, who himself is probably a a World Economic Forum young leader, I would
0: imagine, right? So the only way, the only real way to decrease traffic fatalities is to have no cars.
2: Well, yeah, or have self-driving cars, but those right, have, that
0: increases traffic fatalities based on what we've seen so far. So I'm don't not sure worry. about that.
2: We're not. We're working the bugs out. Don't worry about that. It'll be a few fatalities for a while. Uh, but,
0: what, but what about the cyber attacks?
2: Oh, uh, the cyber. Well, that's well, that's not our fault. That's going to be uh, right. Putin's fault. So it's going to or Xi's fault or the mullahs. Uh, are going to hack into Google's uh, AI system and crash up all the cars. Who knows? Pete's got it under control. Don't you worry, Mike. Right, Mayor Pete's got it under control.
0: Excellent. Okay, well, look. thank you very much for that, Patrick. Thank you, Ian, for joining us today. Uh, And thank uh, you, our audience, for joining us today as well. We'll be back at the same time, 1 p.m. as usual, on Monday. Uh, We hope you have a great weekend, and uh, we'll see you then. Bye-bye.